What's going on, crew? Welcome to today's TIC, Chiropractic Conversations. It's Trent Scheidecker connecting you to a culture of chiropractic principles, questions, and chiropractors. And we have a dear friend and mentor of mine with us today, Dr. Claude Lassard. Claude, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy you're here with us. Thank you, Trent. I'm very happy to be here. It's a joy for me to uh, have a conversation with you today. That's great. And Dr. Lassard has been in practice for over 45 years and, and graduated from uh, one of the top chiropractic programs in the world, Sherman College of Chiropractic, um, and has a, has a connection and a history uh, with being my mentor. But before I dive too far into it, because I'm excited to hear more from you and less from me, fill me in a little bit on your background, your history that brought you to where we are now, and then we can kind of connect the dots on how we know each other. Okay, I always like to say to people that I did not choose to be a chiropractor. I did not choose chiropractic. Chiropractic chose me. I had no clue what chiropractic was, even when I registered at Sherman College. Uh, Sherman had just started, and um, I uh, had dropped out of St. John University in New York. I was walking on Broadway and uh, 72nd Street, and I hear, I meet someone on the street, a student of Columbia Institute of Chiropractic, start to talk to me about chiropractic, but he says, I don't know how to explain that very well. So uh, why don't you come with me and you meet this person, this woman, and she's going to talk to you. And uh, I went and I was in a hallway and this woman comes in and uh, she started to talk to me about chiropractic. That woman was Irene Gold. She was wow. a nine quarter student at uh, Columbia. And uh, uh, understanding that I was French Canadian and so forth, and I had dropped out of St. John, said, what are you going to do? <clears throat> I said, I don't know. She said, I think that you should fill out this application for this new college that's starting that at, uh, in South Carolina. Uh, it's a chiropractic school. I said, okay. So uh, she gave me that. I filled out the application, gave all my credits and everything. I received an answer that I was accepted. And if I wanted to go to South Carolina, I could study chiropractic. I said, okay. So I uh, talked to my wife, Sarah, uh, and uh, I had a child. And uh, we decided that's what we're going to do. Uh, really, it's, it's a mystery to me. But anyway, we wound up at Sherman. And uh, that's how I got into chiropractic. Now, the first person I saw uh, at the college was Reg Gold. And... Uh, and right away, I, I, I knew I was at the right place. Made me feel very comfortable. Uh, I had problems with the English language. I had just got into the States a, a year and a half before, a year before. And, uh, but uh, everything went well, and here we are. So uh, that's now, uh, I started in uh, 74, so that's uh, 48 years. <laughs> wow. And uh, let's, go, let's go back in time for our listeners. We have a lot of students of chiropractic that listen to this, and... I constantly bring up the name Reggie Gold and yes. and the icon and the mentor he was to so many of us. What was his role at Sherman College of Chiropractic when when you were there as a student? And how did how did you guys carry on your relationship uh, from there forward? Well, Reggie was the uh, a part of the uh, director of admission, uh, taking a look at curriculums and everything and credits and uh, transfers of credits, at least from different country. He was also uh, the primary teacher of chiropractic philosophy yep. and, should I say, terminology. But yep. terminology, it was really a philosophy class for him. So my first quarter, I had philosophy 801 with Reggie. And I had terminology. So I had really two philosophy classes. And that was really awesome. And that really started to, for me, it clicked right away. Uh, I don't know whether I was ready or not. Let me tell you that when I was St. John University, I was in pre-pharmacy school. I wanted to be involved in pharmaceutical and stuff like that. And the reason why I dropped out is because I had an argument with a professor in class uh, who was talking about side effects of certain uh, drugs. And one side effect was uh, occasional death. And I did not like that. And I raised my hand 
And I argued with him. I said, if it causes occasional death, we should not minister that to people. And after a 10 minute argument, he got really tired. He said, Mr. Assad, he said, I think you're in the wrong class. I said, I think so too. And I left. But me, I left the school. <laughs> and yep. that's, that's, how, that's how it happened. So therefore, when Richie spoke about philosophy and uh, innate intelligence, universal intelligence, everything, the principle, uh, it really made sense to me. And from then on, uh, I really, I went and uh, continued to uh, second quarter, philosophy 802, philosophy 803. Uh, I, I always had very, very close relationship with Reggie. I'm not quite sure, to tell you the truth, I'm not quite sure why he got to like me. Uh, but from the very beginning, it was very, very clear that there was something going on that he was taking me on. And he did. He did until the day, uh, until the week before he passed away 10 years ago. And uh, it's always been very close. We have always been uh, in conversation. He is my primary mentor, no doubt about that, uh, as far as developing my understanding of chiropractic. And, uh, and there we are right now talking to each other after, uh, after 48 years that when it started. Yeah. Yeah. And for the listeners here, you may not know that Claude has several books uh, published on chiropractic philosophy, science, and art, and really opened my eyes to how connected the philosophy and the science are. And, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a breakthrough for, for me many years ago when I uh, read a new look at chiropractic's basic science. And I've got a little tab here. And I, are you all right if I read a quote from your book? Oh, sure. And, sure. and the reason I'm going to share this is, um, this this really opened up my love for what the philosophy has done for me in practice and what Reggie, because Reggie has so many audios on the philosophy and the connection between uh, the philosophy and science was made in this, in this background on page 13. Claude, you state all scientific disciplines, chiropractic, physics, chemistry, biology, psychology have basic and applied aspects. Basic science is more basic in the sense that without discovery of principles, there's nothing to apply. Applied science relies on and cannot exist without the basic science. For example, aviation uses two basic laws, the law of gravity, the law of aerodynamics, and applies it to its objective, which is flying. In the same way, chiropractic uses two basic laws, the law of organization, which is universal intelligence, in the law of active organization, innate intelligence, and applies its objective, which is to locate, analyze, and facilitate the correction of vertebral subluxations for a full expression of the innate forces of the innate intelligence of the body, period. Wow. That, that's, my favorite, uh, <laughs> that's my favorite quote, my favorite part of what I've gleaned from you so far. So connecting the dots with Reggie teaching you philosophy, how did you go from philosophy to looking into the 33 principles, which oh. has, has been now just published in your newest book, Timed Out Chiropractic, which um, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but how did you connect the dots between the philosophy and the science and uh, where I'd like to take the conversation, which is applying all of it in a systematic yeah. form of the art of chiropractic? Yes. You know, uh, the more you look into something, the more you have the opportunity to see something new. We have to understand that educated intelligence, which is the capability of the educated brain to function, evolves over time. Now, collectively as well, for example, in the, 19, in the 16 and 1700, uh, you had these great development of the educated intelligence as far as music is concerned. You have Bach, Mozart, Tchaikovsky, you know, all these, into, uh, Beethoven, they did not happen in the year 1200. They did not happen in the year 2000. They happened in 16, 1700. Then came communication age. Well, in the 1880s, 1890s, what was that? Ben Franklin, Marconi, uh, uh, Graham Bell, 
D.D. Palmer communication. Uh, so it happened in Cuba. And then later on, you get into quantum physics. You have Einstein, you have Borg, you have Planck. And then you move into uh, data processing. You have Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, uh, Puttakers. You know, everybody is in groups. Well, here it's the same way. The reason why it happens and it happens over time is because this capability of the educated brain to functions grows. And as it grows, we can see things today that 100 years ago could not be seen. And guess what? What we see today, there are people 100 years ago will see things very different that we cannot see today. So as I was looking into the 33 principles, and uh, I've always been involved in, in, in philosophy and in the principles, and I, I was just, and I realized something. And it was almost like I was going down the basement of of, uh, of chiropractic, and it was dark and muggy, and 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 I and I have a little flashlight, and I see in the corner there's a box there and everything, and I don't know what's in there, and I'm a little nervous, so I go in there, I open it, and and all of a sudden I saw, I saw something I did not see before, I saw those principles as being. It's possible to empirically prove them with science today. Could not have happened 1927, 1920, 1895. There's no way. We did not have the, the, the wherewithal and the information to do that. And when I realized that, I said, well, maybe there's something to this. So I started to do a lot of research, chemistry, physics, psychology, all of this and try to find out where they're at and where we are at. And what are we talking about here? And I was able to see that whatever they were discovering was kind of validating what was in there. So what was written 100 years ago was phenomenal because it was written much before. We're just beginning to see the magnitude and the richness of what it's about. And I say we're just a beginning mind. We are beginner's mind. We're just beginning to see. We do not quite understand yet the magnitude that chiropractic has and the power it has within itself. So the transition was really, really as a result of looking long and hard. And until I was able, for example, uh, universal principle of organization, right? How, how, how do you empirically, empirically prove that? Well, very simple. Scientifically speaking, you do that every day in your kitchen and you put a pot of water on the stove and you crank up the heat and all of a sudden the, vo the water molecule, which is comprised of uh, H2O, two hydrogen and, and, and one atom of oxygen, these electrons of those molecules are moving around and now they're getting reorganized before your very own eyes and they become vapor. Now they don't have the property of liquid anymore. They have the property of vapor. The same electron, protons and neutrons, the same molecules, but they get transformed and reorganized before your very own eyes. Now, suppose you do the opposite. You take the pot of water, put it in the freezer. Now you withdraw the heat, and at that point, the same electron, protons and neutrons, the same H2O, now the property is transformed to solid ice, a reorganization of uh, velocity of those particles, which are matter, becomes solid. So there it is. So you want to know it happens like this. Look in nature, look all the time. Reorganization, deconstruction, reconstruction, deconstruction, reconstruction. This is how the life process is about. So there you have principle, and you can go down the line and do that with every single principle. So and therefore, then, if you ask a basic scientist today, what is your job? The basic scientist will say, my job is to find universal principles to understand life and how we live better. Okay, then you ask a basic scientist, what's your job? Basic scientist will say, my job is to apply the principles that have been discovered by my colleagues, the basic scientists, to apply them to solve problems. That's exactly what chiropractic has, has done. We have our basic science principles, and then 
we have our applied scientists in the art to apply those principles and practice to practice the chiropractic objective, which is to locate, analyze, and facilitate the correction of vertebral subluxation for a normal transmission. And, and I, you and I have interfered with. You and I have talked. You and I have talked before in regards to how uh, how much shared uh, passion and similarities we have within the profession. And I'm going to connect the dots a little bit for our listeners. I I I know that you have a love, a deep love and passion for the art of chiropractic, which is the applied science and uh, becoming the artist of those applied science uh, principles. Uh, fill fill us in on the history of how uh, you and I sit here on this recording together in regards to the applied science and the art of chiropractic. And let's let's go back to your days at Sherman College of Chiropractic and uh, move forward to where we are now. Very good. Okay, uh, mid seventies. Uh, first of all, at Sherman College, when we uh, entered the first four or five quarters. Uh, what we were learning as far as analysis is concerned was pretty much upper cervical analysis and uh, pattern work, which was excellent, very precise, very specific. And then uh, some students got together and we wanted to learn more about uh, uh, a different analysis. And we had heard about uh, and something that was happening with somebody were feeling the spine and the muscles and the bones and motion palpation. And then there was words on muscle palpation and we wanted to learn. So we were about maybe uh, a dozen of us. And uh, we learned we learned that together. And uh, the originator of that particular analysis was Reggie Gold himself. And uh, I don't know where he got it. That I, I pre if he would still be alive today, he would let us know. But I don't know. But I know it originated from him. And he taught that to that group, 12 of us, you know, about 10, 12 of us. And um, and, and, and there was not too many uh, 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 academic or, or, or should I say, uh, anatomical terms being used and so forth. It was really a feel. And somewhere down the road, uh, there was one of uh, our colleagues, student, who was learning his name. He was from Spain. His name was Miguel Bonafer. And Miguel was an artist. And uh, he, he wanted to understand more. So he was asking questions more than everybody else. And uh, he was asking questions to Reggie about, well, what are we feeling? And, and what are these muscles? And what is this? And what is that? And Reggie says, well, I don't know how to say what it is, but you can find out. Pick up the anatomy book and look what we're feeling and you tell me. So Miguel said, sure, I will do that. Sure enough, he went to the anatomy book, uh, uh, Gray's Anatomy, he's take a look at all of that. He started to make some design and drawing, tried to make some sense. And he went to Reggie with that. I was there and there was a couple of others and we were looking at this and so forth. And trying to make some sense out of it. And it did happen that it started to make some little sense. And Miguel started to publish that into a publication that we have back in those, in the mid seventies at Sherman, that was a, the Sherman publication for the students called the Spizarantum. And, and can, I, can I pause you for a second? Because you were so generous in your love for chiropractic and the ability to carry it on. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Yes, I, I think this is a September 1976. Yes, sir. And there was an and article by Miguel over there that talks about muscle palpation. Yeah, and so there that, it is. We, yeah. we didn't call that muscle. We called that palpation in those days. Okay. We never used the word muscle palpation or bony palpation. It was simply palpation. That's how it originated. Okay. And, it, and eventually, Reggie went into talking about... Uh, uh, he, he used a word, he, he blurted it out. And, and because as we were practicing, he said, you know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like Braille. You know, it, think about a blind person 
feeling these dots, you know, after a while, they don't even know the dots. They just read the same way you read with your eyes. Well, this is the same thing with the vertebrae and the muscles. It really, it's called vertebrae. That's what I would call that, vertebrae. And, and that word resonated with me a little bit. And I, I, we didn't go along with the term, but it did resonate to try to understand the concept of what we were trying to do. And uh, then when I got to Adio, Adio Institute of Chiropractic, we started the school. There was Reggie, Joe Strauss, myself. There was Ben Tanner, PJ Martin. There was five or six of us and, and, and with a board of trustees and we started the school. And the first day of school, the first class, 7.15 in the morning was for the first pioneer class, 25 of them was technique. And Reggie had put me in charge of the technique department. That's now, awesome. wait a minute. I've been in practice for about six months, and he puts me in charge of the technique department. He must have been very desperate because me, <laughs> me speaking the way I do. So then I hit the books. I said, okay, to him. I hit the books. I start to make the curriculum. I tried to make some classes to remember what I had learned. And from then on, it evolved into what we have called, and I still call it today, adio analysis. Okay. Adio analysis is the analysis that is really uh, trying to find out the dis discerning between spastic muscle and working muscle and understanding the tone and the tension so that that is really the way the innate principle, the innate law, uh, makes accomplished process of vertebral adjustment. The chiropractor is not producing the adjustment. The chiropractor is simply uh, providing information, information force, so to speak, the intent that this innate principle will adapt to an innate force, an innate information force to, to process a vertebral adjustment. So, that means that what we're feeling in this adio analysis is really the language of that innate intelligence, of the innate law. It has a specific code. Everything in the body is with codes, everything, starting with DNA. But from DNA on to everything else, it's all about coding. And for us, is to try to understand and to decode what this innate principle is trying to do with that particular subluxation in order to move it in its proper juxtaposition. So what we do is that we try to find out what, what the liner drive is, what the position is, what this, what that, what muscles, which muscle is working, is that the intertransessari, is that the interspinalis, the multifidus, occipital, uh, you know, rectus capitis, plasticus major, whatever it is. These are big words, but they're only simple muscles that are trying to maneuver the vertebra into its proper position. Once we can decode that, then we can have our proper line of drive, our proper position, our proper torque, our proper thrust, and then the more specific we are, chiropractic specific, or it is nothing. It's one or the other. It's specific. It's the more specific we are, the greater chance that the information we introduce into the body will be adapted to produce a vertebral adjustment by the innate law. So there you have a little bit of the evolutionary process of this analysis. Then next panel came hey. in to Adio, and he really got excited about this. And he wanted to take it uh, and start to teach it. And he did. And, and, and that's when he called that muscle palpation. Early on in the early, in the mid-80s, there was a book that he had uh, comprised. And I think some of the diagram may have come from, from Miguel maybe early on. But his, his diagram was a little bit more, Nick's diagram were more professionals. And uh, it was called muscle palpation. Why did he move from analysis to muscle palpation? I'm not sure why. However, he did. And eventually, he got into a more sophisticated way of decoding these muscles, and he called that AMP, Advanced Muscle Palpation. So that's what it is. So right now, that you, you get it from, from 12 students, 10, 12 students with Reggie, 
and starting with feeling and starting calling that vertebrae and calling that adioanalysis and to eventually muscle palpation. And now you have what we call advanced muscle palpation. And this analysis, at least from the adioanalysis point of view, is based, strictly based, on the 33 principles of chiropractic basic science. That's the basic foundation of that analysis. Any analysis that is valid in chiropractic must fall back on its basic science. Therefore, it must be consistent and congruent with those 33 principles. If it's not, then it's not a chiropractic analysis. Simple as that. Don't argue with me. It's not my, it's not my opinion. It's just what it is. Look at the principle and if whatever you practice, your analysis is congruent with those principles, then it is a chiropractic analysis. Let me ask you this, and this is me being a student. Uh, why are the 33 principles the bread and butter of chiropractic? Why they are? Yeah, I'm being really elementary in my question because, uh, you know, I, I know as well as you know that uh, the philosophy uh, evolves or what Joe Strauss calls, uh, gets redefined. So we're refining it. We're yeah. refining the philosophy, but we've got these 33 principles yes. and in the, in your book that I'm about almost two times through again, cause I just have to keep going yes. back through. Yes. 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 I see that you're refining some of the language in the 33 principles. Yes. Why do the 33 principles, uh, why do they stay as they are and why are they the chiropractic uh, science. Why are they? Yes, the bread yes. and I will. I will tell you that. Great question. Uh, first of all, those three principles are absolute. Okay. They are immutable. Uh, and yes, we can change a word or two, but the principle themselves, they're there. And by the way, they don't. They don't belong only to chiropractic. These principles. They belong to the universe. You know, horses have subluxation and. Yep. Their subluxations are being corrected all the time. So it belongs to the universe, except chiropractic has appropriated itself of those principles, and we use them for practicing chiropractic, for our the chiropractic objective. Basic science, those principles, are the link between the philosophy and the art. Okay. Now, we say philosophy, science, and art. Three separate and distinct aspects of chiropractic. Since they are separate and distinct, how do we integrate them? Well, our principles say that there is intelligence, force, and matter. Intelligence and matter is united by force. If force is in formation in chiropractic, it's not energy. Because energy is matter. <laughs> you know, energy is very simply EMC square. You know, energy equals mass at twice the square of the speed of light. Now, Newton has said that force is mass time acceleration. Once again, force is mass. In physics, force and, and matter, matter is, is, and force are one and the same. It's material. Now, Information is immaterial. It's beyond the material. It's something that is uh, created, organized by the universal principle of organization. So now you have organization, information, energy matter. Well, guess what? Philosophy is the explanation, hard to vary explanation, hopefully universal explanation of the principles, which are the instructive information as far as chiropractic is concerned, in order to practice the art of chiropractic, which is the physical manifestation of its, its, uh, its objective, which is location analysis and facilitation correction of subluxation. So the basic science, the 33 principles, are your guiding principle system, GPS. It yeah. is what gets you back on track. It unites 
the philosophy and the art. So the science unites the philosophy and the art. That means if you don't follow that, eventually on the philosophical level, you may go into ontology, metaphysic, psychology, counseling. That's not chiropractic. You're deviating from the track from where we're supposed to be. If you go on the other side, on the energy matter side, then you're going to therapeutics. You're going to have modalities. You're going to have uh, vitamins, nutrition. You're going to have acupuncture. You're going to have everything else. And that's not chiropractic. How do you stay on track? Look at those principles. Stay there. That's the importance of the 33 principles of chiropractic. Remember, what I found down the basement of chiropractic was the 33 principle. They had been abandoned, basically. I was not talking about that all the time. People don't talk about that. They thought they were, they thought they were archaic. They were passe. They were just part of a, a historical tibet. No, 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 no. They are the meat and potatoes of what chiropractic really is about. That's how important they are. So... So well said, with so much passion behind it, you you share the same love for uh, chiropractic that I do, Claude. I I look at it in its enti- entirety. I look at the philosophy, science, and art. I'm uh, uh, you know going back to your history for um, uh, connecting the dots on a, on a even uh, more now level. Uh, just. Uh, I would say five years ago, we had Nick Spano out in Minnesota teaching muscle palpation, advanced muscle palpation. And I've been practicing uh, muscle palpation for the past 12 years in practice. I have a very high volume practice. Back in the day, I was trying to catch up to Reggie's numbers. Now it's much more uh, a sustainable practice. And uh, throughout my years of like falling in love with the art, uh, it just so happened that Nick wanted to retire from teaching and reached out and said, hey, can you carry this technique on? Can can you carry this torch on? And that's really the connecting dot between, uh, you know, and me being out in uh, New Jersey this year, teaching this seminar to a, to a group of iconic chiropractors and having more love for the art than I ever had before. But I wouldn't have gotten to that point if I wouldn't have had the philosophical principles of Reggie and the scientific understanding and how all of this connects. You need to have the whole package to really uh, deliver uh, the facilitating process. Like you say, I I agree a hundred percent with you facilitating the adjustment because that comes from within. Um, You know, uh, yeah, go for it. You just make me think of something, Um, you know, with regard to uh, this, analysis of the spine and decoding uh, of, of that innate principle through uh, palpating the muscles. There is something universal about this. It applies to everyone, to every vertebrate. It doesn't have to be only human beings, could be even animals as well. Um, so it's really universal. So. <laughs> that means that when you have when you have a technique, when you have an analysis that is universal, uh, it is it is powerful. Not all techniques are universal. You know what I they, They're not. And uh, so so it's very important to understand uh, the difference between personal value and universal value. Personal value is that it makes sense to you. Well, maybe it makes sense to you, but if it doesn't make sense to me, so what? You know, but once you talk about universality, that means you are at a level where it makes sense to everybody. For example, in 1500 Galileo, right? He says that the earth rotates around the sun. First time he said that, nobody ever thought that before. They thought the sun rotates around the earth. It rises in the east and sets in the west. Well, that's not it. It doesn't move. We move, you see. And then he said, that earth is round. We thought that was flat up to that point. We thought it had pillars. You see, it was a whole new idea, but it was universal. And he got excommunicated. He got jailed. And he just got forgiven maybe 10 years ago or forgiven me to say, apologize to him for because he was right. 
Well, it took 500 years. And you see, for these principles to go from personal to universal, it may take 500 years. It will outlive you and me. Let's put it this way. But we can be the Galileos of 1500 today and just proclaim what they are. They are universal. And I'm going to say something to you, Trent, because it's very important you get that and the audience gets that. This analysis must constantly be taught through the 33 principles. Always. You don't have to necessarily mention them all the time. However, when you talk about normal muscle tone, what's normal? Well, the only normal there is is innate normal because our educated would not be able to know what's normal and what's abnormal, but the innate normal is there and we can feel the difference in bilateral tension within those muscles of what that innate principle is trying to do because that's why we cannot produce the adjustment. We cannot process that. We don't know where the vertebra belongs. We don't know how much pressure there is on the nerve. We don't know the neurons that's been affecting the momentum of the transmission of the innate impulse. We don't know any of this. We don't have to. All we have to do is Find the right location, analyze it to the best of our ability, and introduce that specific adjusting thrust, which is an information that then will be adapted, hopefully, by the innate law, that innate principle, and produce an adjustment. So see, that principle comes from principle number 27. Innate intelligence is always normal, and its function is always normal. See, that's based on that. So when we talk about subluxation per se, you can go to principle 31. That's what it says. It causes incoordination of action down the road because the innate impulse is transmitted through that conductor, through that nerve system, in order to provide information at the end for coordination of activities of all the parts of the body. Where does that come from? Principle 23. You see, and then what does it what does it observe? Principle 32, the principle of coordination of action for harmonious uh, activities within the body. It's all there, but if we don't go back to it, then we are really kind of a we're really kind of a teaching something that's not connected. It, it is not connected. Anybody can no. We have to connect them. See, when the blind person reads Braille's. What he is or she is reading is really the alphabet, the code, a word, sentence. That's what we're reading when we do the audio analysis, the muscle palpation, when we palpate those muscles. We're reading the letters, the words, the, the sentence, the paragraph. What is it that it's trying to do? And to the best of our abilities, we cooperate with that. That's why we say facilitate the correction of subluxation. Ours is a cooperation and a very tiny one, by the way. However, the magnitude of what we do when it is adapted by this innate principle is that the interference has now been corrected and now you have an innate normal transmission of innate impulse to perform the coordination of activities of all the parts of the body. That's beautiful. I'm going to ask you one more question here before we wrap this up. Uh, you, I've gone through your most recent book uh, several times, and something that really sticks out to me is how you uh, re repeatedly say momentous flow of innate uh, Im impulses. Can you... Yeah. Uh, can you give us, or more me, because I'm more intrigued with this, uh, the word flow has come up a few times uh, recently to me, and I'm curious to know uh, if we need to build upon that in the, in the art of chiropractic uh, as part of the benefits of, of getting adjusted and being free of subluxation. Uh, really momentous and flow are my two questions. Where does yes. that come from? Yes, yes, yes. Um, momentum. Innate impulse. The innate impulse is both physical and metaphysical. Innate is the metaphysical portion. The impulse is a movement. 
It's a physical expression of movement of neurons of the nerve impulse as a wave going down and having a certain timely action called the momentum. Okay. So you have the innate normal momentum of the innate impulse to be received at the receptor site, let's say the liver, the stomach, the spleen, and all there, to be uh, received every, in a timely manner. It's like now you said that meeting, uh, you started at nine o'clock and then you said, well, now it's going to be 8.30. Okay, but that was important that I come in at 8.30 and not at nine o'clock because that would not have worked out very well. So it's all about timing. There is no process, principle number six, that no <laughs> process that does not require time. See, it's all based on that. So whenever you have a subluxation, what is the definition of a subluxation? That's a displacement of a vertebrae, juxtaposition above, juxtaposition below, occluding an opening, impinging upon a nerve, and interfering with the transmission, with the flow, with the momentum of mental impulse. That impingement will be at the nerve root site. The nerve root is comprised of neurons. So the impingement is on the neuron. The neuron are now lacking ease. They are in a state of dis-ease. That's where dis-ease is. It's not down below. Down below is in coordination of activity, but the lack of ease, it's at the neuron. What is the function of the neuron? To transmit information in a timely manner, to transmit the innate impulse. If now the interference to that neuron putting change the frequency of the innate impulse of that wave, so to speak, change it down the road, that means it will not be received in a timely manner. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Guess what? Guess what? 1983, it was proven, 1986, I'm sorry, it was proven at the University of Colorado by Dr. Chung Ha Su, who did that experimentation. We did not understand what he was doing back in 86, but now I begin to understand it because what he found out was that that tiny pressure on the nerve root decreased what? The function of the nerve. It didn't talk about the function of the organ. The function of the nerve by six, what is the function of the nerve? To transmit mental impulse, to transmit innate impulse. So that means that when it's the nerve itself that's lacking ease, that is now going down in an untimely manner, and it produces incoordination of action. And that's the reason why in principle 30, they talk about incoordination of this ease. The incoordination, the incoordination of action comes from the lack of ease of the transmitting matter at the subluxation site. So that is, again, all these things are just starting to fit together, something that did not fit together for me for 40 years. It's only in the last eight years or so, 10 years, just before Reggie died, we were having a little conversation about that. And then he passed away and he said, carry on. I said, oh, well, okay. So I am. And that's where I'm trying to really uh, uh, clarify what we are seeing and what we are doing. And it's only the beginning, Trent. That's going to be going on for the next centuries. You that's see? Great. I want to know more and more and more about that. So I hope it addresses what your question answers. That for the momentum, we're restoring the momentum of the innate impulse. That's what we do when we introduce our justice trust. And when I say we do, I got much qualified. We only introducing the trust. That's when the innate law does when it produces a vertebral adjustment. The momentum, the flow is restored in a timely manner to be received at the receptor sites, which are the organs and the glands and the muscles and whatever. Wow. That's I, it. I, I will, 
I will be listening to this uh, episode over and over again because you you have so much knowledge, but yet you share it with with so much passion, and that is that's how I communicate. That's how I love to uh, bring my clients into uh, the benefits of being under regular, consistent chiropractic care. And uh, I think what we need to do is we need to wrap this episode up on the the concept that you just mentioned because i heard this when you uh were uh on danny knoll's mile high chiropractic interview and for those that haven't been to mile high i'm going to give a quick plug and and shout out it's a it's a momentous event that has um uh, a lot what you were talking about where we bring a lot of different minds together but we share universal principles uh, for chiropractic and so there's a lot of passion and purpose at that event. If you haven't been to, you got to put it on your calendar coming up. Um, but what what I want to end this episode on, Claude, is the idea that Reggie shared with you about carrying on. And you mentioned it even in your book. I've seen it, I seen it in your book. I'm hearing it uh, in this conversation. Um, what, what do we need to do to carry on this conversation or carry on uh, you know, the, the progression and the refinement of chiropractic uh, so that we can keep this momentous flow for, for, for generations? Every one of us has a part to play as a chiropractor. <laughs> Remember that part in society, we all have a verse. What's your verse? Well, obviously, you're doing what you're doing. What's my verse? I've got, I've got all my books in here. That's my verse. I've got seven books in here, and I'm still writing. That's me. What's somebody else's verse? What's somebody else's passion? What is it that they can contribute? As we contribute what the gift that we have toward chiropractic, that's how it evolves. Because we're not doing that for the people of today only. That's only the people we see in our practice. We're doing that for the people of the future generations. But that will occur only by the work we must focus, what is our talent and gift today, and give ourselves, squander that gift to everyone and focus. That's the way to carry on. Because I remember when I saw Reggie a week before he passed away, he had called me and he said, uh, he won't talk to me. Okay. Well, he wasn't doing very well. Irene opens the door of his bedroom. She closed the door. It's only him and I. And I sat there. He's in front of me. And uh, I'm asking him some question. He's not answering. So I'm starting to tell him who what he means, who he means in my life, who he is in my life, what he means in my life, talking to him about my family and stuff. He's still not talking to me. So after 15, 20 minutes of that, I'm getting a little frustrated. And I'm always, I've, I've been frustrated a lot with Reggie because his mind, his intellect is so sharp that he can cut through things and it really unnerves me, you know? But it was at a time when I got up, I was frustrated and I said, okay, so, his head was down, so he had a bald head, right? So I kissed him on the head, and I was about ready to leave. And as I make my first step toward the door, I turned around and said, damn it, Reggie, you call me here from Yardley, you and Balakin, when I come, you're not saying a word to me. Why did you ask me here? Why? And with that, he lifted up his head for the first time. And with his bright eyes and his smirky smile, he looked at me straight in the eye, piercing eyes. And he said, you want to know what he said? I know what he said. Yeah. Carry on. Carry on. All he said. That's all he said. That was his last word to us. I was only there as a representative of all of us. He was saying that to the, all of us together, carry on, divest yourself of that gift and squander it and spend it. You're never going to run out of it. Never. So if you want to know the progression of chiropractic and the continuation of the evolutionary process, you focus on that and you do the best of what Trent Scheidecker is supposed to be doing. I'll do my job as Claude Lassard and somebody else will do their job as whoever they are. How's that? I love it. And I'm cool, gonna, isn't it? I'm Don't have to look anywhere else but inside of yourself and give it out. 
I'm gonna end this episode, Claude, on the on the Reggie Gold carry on. So we're gonna we're gonna carry that on here at today's tick. It's it's the the new the new uh, the new way we're gonna say goodbye to each other is we're gonna say hey carry on. And I think uh, yes. this is the first of uh, many conversations you and I are gonna have. And I will uh, I'll hold myself accountable to making sure that we have another uh, another episode, another conversation. And we'll dive deeper into this rabbit hole of the philosophy, science, and art of chiropractic. I appreciate you. I love you. And uh, keep, keep, keep going. Keep carrying on. Carry on. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as I did. Let me know what you enjoyed about it by tagging us at Today's Tick on social media. And if this is your first episode, please subscribe Leave us a review. Reviews help us spread the message about chiropractic and the location, analysis, and correction of vertebral subluxation. Share this episode with your friends, classmates, and colleagues. Be a champion and send them this episode. As BJ Palmer said, you never know how far-reaching something you think, say, or do today will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. As always, we like to end our episodes with the definition of chiropractic. Chiropractic is a healthcare discipline that recognizes the innate recuperative power of the body to heal itself through identifying and caring for vertebral subluxations due to the relationship between structure and function as coordinated by the neurological system and how that relationship affects the preservation and restoration of well-being. This information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, mitigate, or prescribe the use of any technique as a form of treatment for any physical conditions, symptoms, or diseases. Directly consult with a qualified healthcare professional for any chiropractic or medical advice. In addition to the benefits of chiropractic care, one should also be aware of the existence of some risk. Risks associated with some chiropractic care may include soreness, musculoskeletal sprain, strain, and fracture. In addition, there have been reported cases of stroke associated with chiropractic care. Research and scientific evidence do not establish a cause and effect relationship between chiropractic care and the occurrence of stroke Rather, studies indicate that people may be consulting chiropractors when they are in the early states of a stroke. In essence, there is a stroke already in process. However, you are being informed of this reported risk.